more. I want to read, if you have a copy of God's Word, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And verse 1 will start. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, writing to the churches of Galatia, says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that we can gather together as your bride, as you command us to gather as your people, to worship corporately. We know that there is a special anointing from you on your people gathered, and we need that, and we need this time each week for you to encourage us through the saints of God gathered and through the singing of lyrics, doctrinal, biblical lyrics that exalt your name and exalt your character and explain to us, Lord, the, the joy that we can have in Christ, the joy that we are meant to have in Christ, and how worthy you are of our every second worship. to be taught and instructed in the Word of God weekly so that our knowledge of you and your will for our life might increase so that the manner of our life, the manner that we live, would be worthy of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, you are so worthy. As we just lifted our voices and sang, you are worthy, oh, Lord of every blessing and honor, and all glory be to you. We thank you for this time. We pray your blessing on your word preached, and we pray that you would guard your people from anything false that I may say, but we know your word is inerrant and infallible, and we pray that you would just bless us this morning with your word. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us first, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we, we just started the book of Galatians last week. This morning, we're, we're still kind of in an introductory mode. 
to the book of Galatians. But last week, you'll recall, if you were here or if you caught up online, we, we looked at who this letter is written to. It's written to the churches of Galatia, and Galatia was a province of Rome. And so there were multiple churches in the area that the Apostle Paul founded and, and started and placed elders in place. And so this letter would go to one of them first, and then it would circulate to the other churches of Galatia. And so we looked at that last week. We also looked at what the word apostle means. Um, we looked at the distinction between being an apostle of man or being an apostle of Jesus Christ. We looked at what the requirements were to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and we looked at who it was that was calling Paul's apostleship into question. You, Paul defends his, his apostleship in other letters that he wrote, but never so much as the letter to the Galatians. And, and as, as we looked at last week, it's because his apostleship was being called into question so that, so that they could call into question the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul defends his, his apostleship in the first chapter and the beginning of the second chapter in order to establish, once again, with the Galatian church, the authority in which he preached and the infallibility and inerrancy of, and, and the critical nature of the gospel that he preached to them as well. We looked at why they were calling Paul's apostleship into question. We looked at how that would impact the message of the gospel that Paul preached. And we also spoke a little bit about why all that matters, right? Why it all matters. So this morning, I want us to continue here in the introductory verses. And I want us to see Paul's desire for the Galatians. Um, Paul was an unbelievable uh, man. He was an incredible apostle. Um, he wrote more than half of the New Testament, um, or, or half of the New Testament. And I want us to see not only Paul's desire, but Paul's heart behind that desire. And so I want to read verses 1 through 5 again. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So at first I want us to, to see and recall the apostle's heart is sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul's heart is sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see in that, hopefully, is that the ramifications of a love for the Lord always spill over in a love for the Lord's people. It's important for us to understand that a, a love for the Lord always spills over into a love for the Lord's people. That's what uh, we see here. The, the word church, it, it's the Greek word ekklesia, and it means God's people. It, it means the, the people of God assembled. And if you go to the Old Testament and you were to use the Septuagint or, or see that the Septuagint translated uh, a Hebrew word into ecclesia, and what it means is the assembled people of God. It means the people of the Lord. 
And so the church is the people of God assembled, gathered most of the time when they're addressed. Where, you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So Paul has a heart for the people of God. And because he has a heart for the Lord, he has a heart for the people of God. And they go hand in hand. And, and it's important for us to, to understand that. And it's important for us not only to understand that, but to strive to obey that, right? To express that. And, and so we, we want, we pray for the Spirit to work in us so that we will express our love for the Lord in the ways that God has called us to express our love for the Lord. It's important that we don't just love the Lord. And, and if we're walking in the Spirit, we cannot love the Lord and not love the people of the Lord. Listen to Paul's heart for God's people. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. And I want you to hear the heart that Paul has for the Lord's people expressed experientially. What, what the Apostle Paul experienced because he loved the people of the Lord. He says in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11, when uh, again defending his apostleship here, because some people were claiming to be super apostles, um, and, and Paul, so Paul here in this, in this passage is defending his apostleship, but he says this, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. Why has Paul said that? Because he's not interested in bragging about himself, right? But here he's put into a situation and into a position that he kind of has to give a resume in order to defend his apostleship and also uh, call those people that are into question that are questioning him. He says, I am a better one. I'm talking like a man, man, madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So here, here is a, a resume that Paul wished that he didn't have to give, but it's a resume of Paul's love for the people of the Lord. And you say, well, how is that an expression of Paul's love for the people of the Lord? Because look at what he went through in order to serve the people of the Lord. Now, a, a lot of us would, one time, the 40 lashes minus one, we might stay in our house from then on. I mean, we hope not, right? We pray for the grace of the Lord. But you read stories like this in Fox's Book of the Martyrs, and you think, man, I don't know how I could ever do such things. And that's right, because God doesn't give hypothetical grace for us to do things that he hasn't called us to do or put us in a situation to do. But, but we see in this, this resume the lengths at which the Apostle Paul went to and the things that he was willing to suffer over and over because he had a love 
for the people of the Lord because he had a, a love for the Lord. I mean, why go through all of this external suffering that Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians? Why go through the internal suffering? As a pastor, I can tell you that I can, I can definitely sympathize and empathize with Paul's anxiety for, he says, churches. I've been at more than one church. I, I have an anxiety, a, a, a care, I think what he's saying there, a care and concern for the people of the Lord. I think it's a burden that, that all pastors carry. For the people of the Lord, hoping that they're obeying the Lord, hoping that they're following after the Lord. I understand that. Why go through such suffering? And the only answer that, that we have and that we can give for such suffering is because of an ultimate love for God. It's the only thing that can explain it. It's an ultimate love for God that spills over in love and concern for the Lord's people. Paul has an, this unbelievable, insatiable love for the people of the Lord. And I, and I think when, I, when, I, when I'm studying this, I'm thinking, Lord, help me to have this kind of love for the people of the Lord. And, and my, my prayer for all of us is that we would pray, Lord, help us to have this kind of love for you that spills over in this kind of love for your people. Because you remember in Haggai, we talked about the patience of God towards his people and how, you know, after a little while, you kind of you would understand God's response being, you know what? But from now on, what? I'm out of here. But from now on, I'm done with you people. But from now on, you're on your own. But, but, but we didn't read that in Haggai. It said, but, now, but from now on, I will bless you. And we see this in the Apostle Paul. I mean, the Apostle Paul went through all kinds of heartache and suffering internally and externally to, to go and, and found these churches in the province of Galatia. And now... They're walking away from the gospel like the gospel doesn't even matter. And the Apostle Paul could write a letter and say, I'm done with you. After all the time I spent with you, after all the labor and the sweat and the tears, after all the beatings and everything I've gone through, you know what? I get this news. You're on your own. That's not what the Apostle Paul did. Why is that? Because the Apostle Paul was seeking to imitate his Lord and the Apostle Paul also tells us to imitate him as he imitates the Lord. And so I would call us to pray that God would give us a heart for his people because we have a heart for him. That God would give us a long suffering and a patience towards his people because God is so much more long suffering and patient with us. Paul not only has a love for the known people of God, but Paul also has a, a love for the unknown people of God. What do I mean by that, the unknown people of God? Well, Romans 9, 1, and 1 through 3 says, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, 
my kinsmen according to the flesh. So what Paul's saying there is, is my, my kinsmen of the flesh, my fellow ethnic Israel who, do, who are not believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I want them to believe upon their Savior and their Messiah. I want them to believe so much that I would almost wish myself accursed for their sake. Now that's, that's a heart for the, for the lost, is it not? To make such a statement. Paul's also writing this letter knowing that it is very likely that there are some false converts in the church of Galatia that maybe professed faith in Christ, but maybe it was a false conversion because their, their behavior right now is not expressing what a true convert expresses. They're not clinging to the gospel, and we're going to get to that um, next week. But Paul wanted to see everyone converted to faith in Jesus Christ, so he's not only extending himself to, to abuse physically and emotionally and spiritually to, to go to all these churches and revisit them, because you'll remember in his missionary trips, not only did he go to unknown areas and face these kind of toils, for the, the the for converts, but he also circled back and went through the places that he had founded churches because he wanted to check on them and see how they were doing. And so Paul has this unbelievable love for the Lord and his people, and he's willing to suffer at great lengths to preach the gospel because the gospel calls out God's people. Paul had an insatiable desire for people to experience God through a reconciled relationship with God. And, and I, I pray, I think it's too easy, and, I, and I, think you'll, I think you'll agree with me, it's too easy for us to leave here on Sunday morning and be satisfied that we know the Lord and just go about our day. All the while, all the people around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our peers, there's not a desire within us to show our ultimate love for God and our willingness to suffer in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces for the glory of God by preaching and speaking the gospel into their lives because we're saved and we're safe. Paul did not have that kind of attitude. He was safe or he was saved, but he did not play it safe. He was willing to be beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and lashed and rotted for the glory of his Savior's name in the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of God's word in order to call out God's people to be converted to Christ by the preaching of the gospel. And I'm telling you that we... We have to be extremely careful, and I'm preaching to myself. We have to be extremely careful that we may be a little bit more uncomfortable than the world, but we're not really willing to be uncomfortable for the glory of Jesus Christ. For calling out being uncomfortable through a willingness and an obedience 
to speak the gospel into people's lives because I tell you what, it's more comfortable with them liking us a little bit. Amen? It's more comfortable for our neighbors to like us and not really know a whole lot about us than it is for us to speak the gospel into their life and then them maybe not like us anymore. Paul's, you see the Apostle Paul's heart and his desire for the people of God, known converts and unknown converts, and you see a man who's not willing to be satisfied with comfort. He has an insatiable desire for the people to experience God through a reconciled relationship with God. And look at his words in verse 3. He says this in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's Paul's desire for the people of Galatia. He's, his desire for them is to experience daily the grace and peace of God. Isn't that, isn't that something good to experience? I, I want to experience that every day of my life. The grace and peace of God. Paul is telling them here, this is him speaking his desire. This is, in other words, he's saying this, this is what I wish for you. This is what I wish for you. I wish God's grace and peace upon you and that you would experience it and that you would know the surpassing knowledge of God and the surpassing love of God and that you would experience the grace and peace of God. And Paul is telling them that he wants them to experience this and so he's concerned with the route that they've taken through these Judaizers that, that have come in and the news that has been brought to him he's very concerned that they're walking away from the daily experience of God's grace and peace and so you'll notice in verse 4 and 5 Right after he says, my desire is for you to experience the grace and peace of God, he reminds them of a message that he preached to them. He says, he says Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is reminding them of something that they need to remember, something critical, lest they cut themselves off from experiencing the grace and peace of God. Verse 3, very common uh, statement by the Apostle Paul in introductions. Verse 4 and 5, not so common. And verse 4 and 5 are pointing back to verse 3. Because he's reminding them, and this is critical, and this is threaded throughout the epistle. He's reminding them that grace and peace from God can only be experienced through verse 4 and 5. There is no peace with God except through Jesus Christ. There's no experiencing the grace and peace of God except through and in the person of Jesus Christ.
And, and, and the reason why this is so important is because these Judaizers are, are coming in and they're introducing and they're, they're coercing the Galatians with a, a, a doctrine that is false. And it's, it's theologically known as legalism. It's theologically known as legalism. And let me, let, me just, let me just tell you what legalism does. And why churches should be so guarded against legalism. Because legalism kills joy. Legalism kills joy. I've been in the ministry for 21-something years. And I have seen legalism not only kill the joy of those going the route of legalism, but I've, I've seen legalism kill the joy of everyone around those people. I've seen legalists leave the church and decide to start a church because the church they're leaving isn't legalistic enough. And what ended up happening is that it then the people that left the church and started a legalistic church, they weren't legalistic enough for each other. And so that they broke, broke out. One of the most dangerous things for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is legalism. It kills joy, and it is the death nail to Christian joy. If you're trying to work your way into justification, you will never be able to do so. And you'll be miserable because your conscience will never be cleared and that's what you're seeking to do, is clear your conscience on your own by keeping a set of rules that will somehow justify you before the Lord. But guess what? You're already a sinner. You're already guilty. You're already unrighteous. And you can't make yourself righteous on your own. And you will be a miserable person because your checklist of rules will continue to grow in order to somehow soothe your conscience. And it'll never happen and you'll just grow more miserable and more miserable and more miserable. And you know, miserable people make people around them miserable. Amen? Paul is writing with urgency because he wants them to know the route they're taking is going to take them away from the, gra the grace and peace of God that they can enjoy in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is wanting to stop this movement that's taken hold, that's moved them from grace and peace to legalism and misery. And he wants to, their joy to be restored that really the Christian life can give and does give. The Christian life is filled with joy. It's filled with joy. I know uh, and I've said this before, I, I, I believe that we're happy too, but I, I, I sometimes differentiate between joy and happiness because, because of our culture and our cultural understanding of happiness. We think that happiness is at the movie with carefree or wh whatever. I don't want to pick on movies because I like movies, but it's just this state of big smile on your face, everything's going hunky-dory, right? I'm happy, right? Well, guess what? You're not always happy. Sometimes you're crying, Amen? Anybody shed tears since they're a Christian? I'm raising both my hands. 
But Paul says that the Christian life is sorrowful yet rejoicing. Why? Because there will be a day when the sorrows of this world go away and we experience them no more. Because we'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ and we'll have a new body. So we can be sorrowful in an experience of this life knowing that one day we will no longer experience it at all. So the Christian life may not all be smiles, but it's always joy-filled. Because like James says, this life is but a vapor. You walk out on a cold morning and you go, and as fast as that little smoke ball lasts when you breathe out, that's how fast this life is compared to eternity. And so Paul's writing them. He has a great desire for them. He understands the trajectory that they are on by following these Judaizers, that they're on a trajectory and a path of legalism that will lead them to misery, and they will no longer experience the grace and peace of God. And so he reminds them here in verse 4 and 5 of what Christ has done in order for us to experience the grace and peace of God. They need to understand that joy comes through the understanding, through understanding the Christian truths of the gospel. There has to be, I've said this before, there has to be an intellectual understanding of the gospel before you can have faith. So he wants them to understand, he's reminding them of the Christian truths of the gospel. He's wanting them to understand our deliverance. Our deliverance is exclusively through the one who delivered us. And he's wanting them to cling solely to his work, which is what delivers us. I mean, when, when, I, when, you, when I get to heaven and the Lord says, why should I let you in? I'm not going to say because I have faith. I'm going to say because of Christ. In other words, my faith is not the object of my faith. My faith is pointed and clinging to the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we, Paul's reminding them, listen, cling to this. Cling to this person and the work that he finished. Don't forget that. You're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, right? To the glory of God alone. And we'll dig more deeply into these truths of verse 4 and 5 in the weeks upcoming. But I want us to to see that, man, time flied this morning, didn't it? Flew, flew, excuse me. He wants them to understand that, I'll put it like this, because I'm, I'm going to cut this short. I'll put it like this. How many of you have ever gone through a season of unrepentance? Okay, amen. Amen for the truth sayers. In that season of unrepentance, To gain repentance, it's not pulling up your bootstraps. It's falling on your face and crying out to the Lord to give you repentance. That's what it is. The Christian life is not about pulling up your bootstraps. It's about confessing that I can do nothing apart from Him. So when we get into a season of unrepentance, it's not pulling up your bootstraps like Thomas the Train, I think I can. 
It's falling on the face, on your face and saying, Lord, I need this and I can't do it on my own and I need you to work in me both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And so, they're, they're, Paul understands that not only do they need to come back to the gospel, but they need the grace of God to work on them so that they will, so that they'll respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want us to think about, because I've got two more points, but I'm going to wait till next week. I want us to think about this. Where, where do you stand? Don't answer, obviously. But I, I want us to think and pray this week on this. Where, where, am, where am I in the, in the scale of, of loving comfort over speaking the gospel into people's lives? And doing that, like the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul says, I imitate Christ. Well, how, how, what great lengths would, was Christ willing to go to? Well, we're told, right? He left his throne room in glory. Where all the angels worshipped him every second of every day. And they did his bidding. Whenever he gave a command, they did his bidding. He left that throne room and he took the form of a servant, a creature, the creator. For by him and through him were all things made. He left his throne room in glory to condescend and take the form of a servant, a creature. The creator did that. Then he became obedient. He kept the covenant that we could not keep where God said, obey and live disobey and die he came and obeyed and he was tempted in all points yet without sin and he was beaten and mocked and spit on and crucified and made fun of and he was buried Could have called down a legion of angels at any moment. But he was willing to go to such great lengths for his people because he loves his people. And then you see the Apostle Paul and his desire for the people of God because of his ultimate love for the Lord. And I just ask myself, where am I? Where am I? Do I care that I have neighbors that don't know Christ and are on the path to eternal damnation. Do I care? Or am I, eh, I'm okay. And I'm comfortable. I'll just leave them alone. Let's pray about that this week. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the, the example of Christ. We thank you for the example of the apostles. We thank you for here the example of the apostle Paul. And as we see his wonderful, great, insatiable desire to obey you, and because he loves you with such great fervor, 
he is willing to suffer at such great lengths to, to preach the gospel that glorifies you so that your people may be called out by the preaching of the gospel. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that Christ was willing to make on our behalf. We thank you that he conquered the grave. He wasn't just buried, but he defeated death, conquered it, and is victorious, and is seated at the right hand of his Father. Lord, we pray that you would bless uh, the remainder of our time together this day, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.